Barbara O'Neill. Reading. I read the examples, but what I was supposed to do, give you examples of what to eat. But I gave you examples of people of healing. But I, I'm sure we can fit the next one in. My first lecture, or the first part of this lecture, and I can fit both into this, is insomnia. The proverb 14 verse 6 says, Knowledge is easy to him that understands. So I want to give you an understanding on why we sleep. And there's a tiny little gland in the base of your brain called the pineal gland. And the pineal gland releases four hormones every night between the hours of 9 p.m. and 2 a.m. You don't have daylight saving here, is that right? No, so I don't have to put daylight saving time. The hormones are serotonin, and serotonin is your mood hormone. The other hormone is arginine vasotocin. And arginine vasotocin is a hormone that puts you into a deep sleep. A lot of people that can't sleep think if they go to bed later, they'll sleep better because they'll get tired. But the opposite's true. The earlier you go to sleep, the more likely you are to fall into a deep sleep because of arginine vasotocin. So arginine vasotocin puts you into a deep sleep and arginine vasotocin is your natural painkiller. Did you know that you have a natural painkiller? And when your body uses the natural painkiller, which it automatically do, will if you've got pain of any sort, a residue is left. And if you don't get rid of that residue, then your natural painkiller can't be released the next night. So what you do to get rid of the residue from using your natural painkiller is exercise. And the most powerful exercise is, we've looked at it a few times, high-intensity interval training. See, the high-intensity interval training, these are intervals of going very, very fast and then relaxing. That fast moves blood very fast and increases blood supply to the pineal gland. So it helps your pineal gland to release hormones, more hormones at night, but what the exercise does is it causes a release of the build-up from using your natural painkiller. The other hormone that's released is epithalamin. And epithalamin is a hormone that increases learning capacity. We should never stop learning. It's a misconception that our brain decreases as we get old. Our brain's supposed to get smarter and wiser with age. If you don't use it, you will lose it. And that's why so many people de deteriorate, their minds deteriorate. It's one of the reasons minds are deteriorating, because they stop using them. They stop learning new things. I love the story of the 92-year-old man who learned to play the piano. And the 93-year-old man who graduated from law school. We should never stop learning. So if you go to bed early every night, it'll increase your, increase your learning capacity because of epithalamin. Epithalamin also slows down aging. 
You find people that have regular late nights. I know, especially rock stars. You know, you look at rock stars who were very good-looking young men and have a look at them when they're 70. Uh, they don't look any good anymore. <laughs> they age very, very quickly because of their continual late nights and other reasons as well, I guess. Also, melatonin. Melatonin is called your fix and rejuvenate nighttime hormone. And this explains why, I've mentioned it a few times this week, that in those hours, that's when healing accelerates. It's in those hours that our, that our brain, our whole body experiences rest, rejuvenation, renewal. So what can you do to increase the output of those hormones? To increase the output of those hormones, exercise. Exercise every day. What else can help is laughter. No wonder the proverb says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. What can also increase the output of those hormones is sunshine. Sunshine in the day increases your ability to sleep better at night because sunshine increases the output of these hormones. You see, light and dark signals are fed through the optic nerve to a control centre in the brain where your body clock is located. And your body clock communicates with the pineal gland. So when your eyes are getting sunshine in the day, you actually sleep better at night. Also, sleeping in the dark, because remember, it's the light and dark signals that give the messages through to the brain. Fasting. When you go to bed with an empty tummy, your intestines produce tryptophan. And tryptophan is a key amino acid used in the production of melatonin and serotonin. And that's why we've been hearing about eating breakfast like a king, lunch like a queen, and tea like a pauper. What, what foods are highest in tryptophan are soy, so your vegetarian protein is the highest in tryptophan. But there are some things you can do that will cause a decrease in the output of these hormones, which are contributing very much to the insomnia we're seeing today. One is worry. What's the old saying? Worry is blind and cannot discern the future. If you're worried about something, get up, write some solutions, write a letter to the person that's bugging you, not on your email, it's too easy to send, send. <laughs> and the other reason why you don't get up and do your email or write it on your iPad is because artificial light is incredibly disruptive to the pineal gland when your eyes have exposure to artificial light in those hours. And the most dangerous artificial light are the screens. That's your television, that's your iPad, that's your iPhone, your computer. And how many people are on those in these hours? one of the biggest disruptors. But you've got exams, you've got to study. When you go to bed at 8 and get up at 4, 
In fact, there's no problem with exposure at 2.30 or 3. It's in these hours that's incredibly disruptive. I think it's one of the biggest contributing factors to the teenage adolescent suicide we're seeing. Because instead of sleeping, especially young brains that haven't fully developed, when they need more rest than adults. I found since I turned 50, six, seven hours a night, that's, it. that's fine for me. But growing minds, growing children, Adolescent, teenagers, they need that full eight hours at least. My son puts his little two-and-a-half-year-old to bed at 5.30 at night, and she wakes up at 6.30 in the morning, bright as a button. <laughs> what also causes a decrease in the output of these hormones is caffeine. In fact, caffeine cuts the output of the hormones in half for six hours. Also, alcohol. Alcohol causes a 41% reduction in the output of those hormones. So people often think that little bit of red wine will put them to sleep, but they'll wake with half-charged batteries. Also, meat. Meat is very high in an amino acid called methionine. And methionine blocks the action of tryptophan. So let's have a look. I know in Australia, how many people don't exercise? They're so stressed out, not much laughter. They never see sunshine. They're working in an office that has no windows. And how often do people not sleep in the dark because of the bright lights? And how many in their bedroom have all the bright lights, you know, from their computers and iPads being charged. And how many people, I know in Australia, they have breakfast like a pauper, lunch like a pauper, tea is king and queen together. And on top of that, they're in stressful society. They don't know the great God of heaven and they're stressed out. And they're on the screens till midnight and they're drinking coffee, alcohols. No wonder they can't sleep. Let me give you the story of a man I met in Florida. He wanted to see me. When he got out of the car, he was a very fit um, black American guy. And I looked at him and I thought I was about 50. Didn't know he was 65. He owns a gym. He's very, very fit. I said, what's your problem? He said, I can't sleep. So I put my detective hat on. When did it start? He said, it started 10 years ago. He said, 10 years ago, I had a test, a blood test, and I had high eosinophils. In my lecture tonight, I'm going to explain eosinophils. Eosinophils are a white blood cell. We've got five different types of white blood cells, as you'll see tonight when I look at the immune system. He said, I had high eosinophils. And he said to the doctor, is that a problem? And the doc said, not really, don't worry about it. A friend of him, his, is a pathologist, and he saw the blood test and he said, oh dear. The guy said, what's the matter? He said, you've got eosinophilia. The guy said, what's that? And the pathologist said, all I can say to you, mate, is just spend more time with your family. 
He didn't sleep that night. In other words, he took it as a death sentence. He thought, what am I going to do? He said, I've got two adolescent children. I've got, a, I've got my house that's mortgaged. I've got a business that's just starting. So he worried all night long, fitful night. And this started a process of not sleeping. After about a month, his body now is in the habit of not sleeping. He found out he didn't have eosinophilia at all. In fact, he found out a few years later that this pathologist had done the same thing to several people. That's why you're the doctor. You read your body. Tests can be wrong. A lady told me that her, her brother's 58 and he had frequent urination, so they were going to do a test on his prostate. He was under operation. They did a test. The test went, he did, they did a biopsy. They went down to test it and it came back. He's got prostate cancer. So they basically took his prostate out. They found out a week later that it was the wrong test result. It was the test result of a 78-year-old man. Sometimes tests are wrong. That's why whenever you get a result, you say, thank you for your advice. I'm just going to get a few opinions on this. Oh. I know what it's like, though, when you're in operating theatre. We often used to do it. We'd take a biopsy, then we're all waiting. If it comes back um, positive, the op's done. If it's not positive, you sew them up and leave it. So can you see this man... It was worrying. It was worrying. He went to a health retreat to try and get help, and the lady at the health retreat said, if I had a stick, I'd hit you, because she said, you need to smile. She said, what you're doing is you're ruining yourself. She said, and when she said, I'd like to get a stick and hit you, she wanted to shake him out of it. <laughs> but you know, he got into the habit of it. And then now he had this terrible habit of just worry, worry, worry. The body can get habits just like we are creatures of habit. And so when I consulted with this man, he said, it is much better than it was. He said, I now realise I am not seriously ill. I said, and do you know why you had high eosinophils? I said, you've got a gluten intolerance. Because when you have an intolerance to wheat, your white blood cell called eosinophil, it rises. It's as simple as that. And if you'd stopped the wheat, your eosinophils would have come back down. So I went through this with him. I said, tick the boxes. I didn't have to talk to him about exercise. He's doing lots of that. But he actually wasn't drinking enough water. He also had a lot, lot of technology in his room. I said, what I want you to do if you wake in the night, and he still was waking a couple of times, but he was now getting about four hours in, a, in one time, which he was happy about. I said, what I want you to do when you wake up is I want you to be incredibly grateful that you're not outside in a ditch and it's raining. 
I want you to be very, very thankful that you're not in a Siberian, by Siberian work camp with a bit of newspaper for a blanket. I want you to be very, very thankful that you're not lying in bed unable to sleep because you were beaten to a pulp. <laughs> Do you know one thing that's probably the most guilty of stopping people sleeping is annoyance. Because many people, when they wake up and they look at the time and it's only one o'clock or two o'clock, they get really annoyed. Is that right? And if you get annoyed, I can promise you right now, you will never go back to sleep. <laughs> it's called the attitude of gratitude. Is that right? One lady said to me, my little boy, he's 11, he can't, he can't sleep. I said, oh, what time does he go to bed? 8.30. When does he wake? 11. What does he do? What do you think he does? He gets his iPad out and he starts playing games or he starts watching things. Well, when, as soon as those lights go into those eyes, between those, our pineal gland just shuts down. She said, well, what will he do? I said, get him a little head torch. Get him a book. He can read a book. <laughs> or he can just lie there. When I was in uh, America last time, it was the second day, and it takes a little while, you know, for the body to get used to where it is. And I remember one night, I didn't get to sleep till 3 in the morning, and I was very challenged to practice what I preached. So I laid there and I just was very thankful that I was in a comfortable bed. I was very thankful for where I was. I was very, I just, you just go through all the things you can be thankful for. I finally fell asleep at three and I woke up at seven, which is a big sleep in for me. Do you know I functioned very well that day? Very well. It's amazing what you can do on little sleep. I remember when I was um, mother, well, I'm still a mother, but when I had a little baby and a toddler and sometimes they'd have a cold, I used to sleep with my babies because I just got more sleep. <laughs> if they woke to feed, I'd just stick them on and just go back to sleep. I slept with all my babies. And I, I know that if I could get four hours, I could function well on that. And I look back and think, I wonder if I functioned well because I thought I'd function well. You know, Proverbs... 23 verse 7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you think four hours sleep is fantastic, it will be. And if you think four hours sleep is terrible, guess what? It will be. <laughs> it will be. And so you can retrain your mind. You can retrain your mind to be very thankful for it. I was reading an article on a magazine. It was Time magazine on sleep. And they said, sleeping tablets don't do a lot because the person doesn't get quality of sleep. And they also found that it, um, you know, they got addicted to the, to the sleeping tablets. But what this article said, the most, the most effective thing with, with insomnia is cognitive behaviour therapy. So let me give you an example of cognitive behaviour therapy. I had a lady do our program and she said, I'm so annoyed. 
She said, I wake up at 2.30 every day. Every day I wake up at 2.30. She said, it just drives me crazy. She heard this lecture and I said, now, when you wake up at 2.30, you can look at your clock and say, fantastic. I've got my hours of power. All I have to do now is doze <laughs> and plan my day. <clears throat> and she found that because she wasn't getting annoyed, she started to go back to sleep. Because <laughs> that's all those hours are. They're just your, your dozing hours. They're your hours of power. I married a night owl. When I married Michael 21 years ago, <coughs> he used to put his two children to bed. They were uh, 11 and 13, I think, because he'd been a single mother for, father for quite a while. He put the kids to bed <coughs> about 7 o'clock, and then he'd whiz down to the office. And he'd stay there till often midnight. So when we married, I said, I have claims at 8.30. <laughs> I have claims on my husband. Anyway, about once every two weeks, he'd say, I just got to do it. I just got, I'm, I'm behind in the office. I just got to do it. And of course, I never nagged because, you know, it never does any good. Did you know that? You never nag because it never does any good. You know, he's not a night owl anymore. Because he discovered, yes, no one rings you at midnight, but no one rings you at five o'clock in the morning. Have you noticed that? So if he has extra work to do today, He'll go to bed at 8, 8.30 and he'll wake up at 4 or 4.30 or 5 and he'll do two hours in the office before breakfast. And he has discovered that he can do so much more early morning, depending or compared to at night when you're falling asleep. And he also discovered that if he went to bed at 1 in the morning, it, it, his day was wiped out. But going to bed early and getting up early, because he's getting those hours of power, he's not wiped out the next day. So I can't even remember the last time he had a late night. So if someone says, oh, I'm just a night owl, well, if you say that, you'll always be a night owl. Is that right? What you can do is say, I used to be a night owl, <laughs> but I'm starting to become a day person. So as you can see, you can get so much more out of your day, so much more out of your life, if you're sleeping in those hours. Again, check your room, check your bedroom. The technology shouldn't be there. If it's there, it should be way in the far corner. If you've got a television or a computer in your room, it should be switched off at the PowerPoint so it's not giving off that electromagnetic field. So you've got to tick the boxes. And if you've done all of that, if you've ticked all the boxes and you're still not sleeping, well, just remember that when you wake, be very thankful. Be very thankful that you're not tied down to a rack and about to be stretched. Be very thankful you're in a comfortable bed. Be very thankful for all that God has done for you. And little by little, you can train yourself back into sleep. So the other question that I've been asked is to talk on thyroid. And the thyroid controls metabolism. So if someone's got an overactive thyroid gland, everything's fast, 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 fast. They can't sit still, heart's beating fast. They, 
They almost can't eat enough food to fill them. But if someone's got underactive thyroid gland, everything's slow, slow, slow. They're tired all the time. Hair's not growing properly. Matt, oh, I've still got a flower in my hair. Maybe their hair's even falling out. They put on weight, digestion's slow, they can get constipated. Whereas someone with hyperactive can get diarrhea. Can you see when you understand what the thyroid does and the thyroid controls metabolism, you can see these things. Now, Dr. David Brownstein, this is an excellent book. And he's considered the world expert on iodine. <clears throat> Dr. David Brownstein, he's written a book and it's called Iodine, Why You Need It and Why You Can't Live Without It. And he shows that under and overactive thyroid can be caused by an iodine deficiency. So iodine, do we just get iodized salt? No, because there's Within an hour of opening the iodine salt, you know the iodine's all evaporated? So you don't even get iodine in Celtic salt because it evaporates. But when vegetables are grown near the sea, the waves crash and then the iodine goes into a gaseous form and lands on the sea. So foods that are grown near the sea usually have iodine in them and also seaweed type foods they can have iodine in them but most people that have low iodine they have low iodine because they're eating foods that contain things that compete with the iodine and one is bromide bromide is used as a bread improver and it competes with iodine on the receptor sites and bromide is found in insecticide sprays that are used to spray berries. And how many people have frozen berries in smoothies for breakfast? So if you do have frozen berries in smoothies for breakfast, um, make sure they're organic. So, um, and also most breads, as I said, have the bromide in it as a bread improver. Do you know in about the 50s they used to put iodine in as a bread improver? but now they put bromide in, which competes with it. So there are some things you can do to help thyroid function. High estrogen opposes thyroid function. So the Anna's Wild Yam Cream, and we talked about this last night. So the Anna's Wild Yam Cream boosts progesterone. And remember what I showed you, when you boost progesterone, you automatically bring estrogen down. So everyone with a thyroid issue should be on the Anna's Wild Yam Cream to help balance those hormones. Now the cabbage family contain a plant chemical called goitrogens. And goitrogens inhibit thyroid function. But when you cook the cabbage family, it basically disarms the goitrogens. So if someone's got overactive thyroid, they should be having lots of raw cabbage, cauliflower, broccoli, even cabbage juice, because that can slow down the thyroid. But if someone's got underactive thyroid gland, they shouldn't eat any raw cabbage, but they can eat the cooked, because the cooking disarms the goitrogens.
High-intensity interval training brings balance back into the thyroid because it increases blood supply to the thyroid. So the high-intensity interval training, especially underactive, it just wakes it up. And the overactive, it can actually balance it out. Now, mercury has an affinity for a, a mineral called selenium. And selenium is required by the thyroid to convert iodine into thyroxine. If someone has mercury fillings in their mouth, it can gobble up all their selenium. And if someone's on a high fish diet with its mercury, that can gobble up the selenium. So if someone has thyroid problems, they should have their mercury fillings removed. The good news is the food that's the highest in selenium is Brazil nuts. And you only need five Brazil nuts a day to give you all the selenium you need for that day. Iodine. There's a very simple test that you can do to check what your iodine levels are. Now there's a solution, and with Google today you'll be able to get it. It's called Lugal's Solution. And Lugal's Solution contains iodine and iodide. Most chemists will sell it. And Lugal's solution, being iodine, you can put one drop on the inside of your arm, up about there, and it'll make a brown smudge. And what you do is, every hour or so, you check the colour of that smudge. And if, in one hour, there's no brown smudge, your iodine levels are very low. Because if your iodine levels are low and you put the iodine on the skin, it'll grab it. But if there's a semblance of brown, still five hours later, your iodine levels are good. So what do you do if they're low? You just put the iodine every day until it stays there for five hours. It's that simple. Putting it on the skin allows you to monitor it. And also, putting it on the skin means the body just takes what it needs. So that's a very simple way of finding out if what your iodine levels are like. So that's basically how you can help your iodine. Sorry, help, help your thyroid. So overactive, and tomorrow morning we're going to be looking at... Um, Natural remedies. Overactive thyroid gland, apply ice. And what you do is one minute on and one minute off. And you do that probably about five times. And if your overactive thyroid gland is very active, you might do that three or four times a day. But if you're thyroid gland is underactive, then you can apply a cane pepper compress. And if you apply the cane pepper compress, you might apply that for maybe three hours a day. And I'll be showing you tomorrow morning how to make one.
You basically get a couple of sheets of kitchen paper, cut it the size of the thyroid gland, which is just here, and put a little bit of oil on it, and then sprinkle cane pepper on it. That'll just make it stick, and then just put it straight on the thyroid gland, cover it with a bit of plastic and tie it round your neck. What you'll find is that after about half an hour, it'll get really, really hot, and then it'll calm down a bit, and then it might get hot again. You just keep it for three hours. I was telling the guests at our health retreat about the cane pepper compress, and that night, one of our guests who had an underactive thyroid gland, she said to one of our staff, I'd really like to try it. This is about six o'clock. So they put it on her thyroid gland and left it there till about 8.30 when she went to bed. Then she took it off. I saw her in the morning. She said, I've got some good news and bad news. She said, the bad news is I didn't sleep all night and the good news is it worked. <laughs> so don't put it on in the afternoon. Because remember what your thyroid does? Controls metabolism. So that you would put that on in the morning. I've been asked to do is write down what do you eat for breakfast. Let's put a few breakfasts on. Now I find a lot of guests today that come to our retreat they're very very busy and sometimes they're bachelor or they want a quick breakfast. So they'll have a smoothie. So what they'll have in their smoothie is you put a cup of fluid. Now that cup of fluid could be coconut water or it could be almond milk, or it could be an organic soy milk, some sort of fluid. And then one tablespoon of protein powder. And the protein powder, you might get the protein powder from hemp. You can get some quite good hemp protein powders, or it might be made from brown rice, or one that we use is made from bean or pea. Sometimes it's called pea protein powder. Or you could get organic soy. And then one tablespoon of coconut cream. That makes it nice and creamy. Cocoa. I don't know what happened there. Nut. Cream. And then some fruit, and if a person's a diabetic and trying to, or trying to lose weight, they might use berries, but if they're not a diabetic and they're not trying to lose weight, they might use a banana. Banana makes it quite nice. If someone's wanting to keep off the fruit, avocado makes it quite nice and creamy. Berries are very nice, so it's whatever works for you. And then chia seed, you might put uh, say two teaspoons of chia seed and maybe two teaspoons of ground flax and some people like adding some green leaves to make it a green smoothie. Now if you like that, if it takes you all the way to lunch, do it. But not everyone wants a smoothie for breakfast but that is something you can do. So here we've got another breakfast. 
And another breakfast may be fruit. And if you're trying to conquer diabetes, you do the low GI fruits. If you want to lose weight, low GI fruits. What are your low GI fruits? You can Google that, but it's mostly your berries, kiwi fruit. I'm not sure about your island fruit. What's that on the GI? And then you might have millet. Or you might have oats. Or you might have rice. Or you might have quinoa. Or you might have, um, what's another one? Buckwheat. It's just whatever you like. And a great way to put that in is a slow cooker. Then you wake up in the morning and it's there. And then with that, you might put a sweetener. And the best sweetener would be honey or palm sugar. Or it might be maple syrup. Or you might just do stewed apple. Especially if you're a diabetic and want to keep away from the sweetness. That can go in your fruit. If you aren't <coughs> diabetic. And then on top of that you might put coconut cream. It makes it very nice. Or you might put almond milk. It's whatever you like. Or you might like soy milk. And then on top of that you might put chia, chia seeds, flax, nuts. And this is number three breakfast. So let's say you want to go on more savoury breakfast. For a more savoury breakfast, you might have avocado. Avocado, tomato, can't eat tomato, well don't eat it. Your cucumber, spinach, and then you might have some rice, and you might have some beans, black beans, kidney beans, lentils. So we've got about, got about eight breakfasts there. Yes? You can, but they're not good if you're a diabetic or if you're wanting to lose weight. That's why you play with that. But if you're a diabetic and wanting to lose weight, you're better to just go stewed apple. It's very low GI. Yeah? Pardon? Coconut milk. Whatever. I don't know. Might be. <laughs> coconut, coconut milk is runnier than coconut cream, that's all. Coconut water is not milk or cream. Coconut water is the water from the green coconut.
Well, you can do what you like with the cheese. You can pour it on dry. Don't worry, within minutes, and, and that food will be in your stomach full. If you want to, you can. But when you eat dried chia, by the time it's coming out of your stomach, it's all jellied. And it's getting jellied from your, your liquids. Or you can mix it with water and pour it on in like a jelly form. It's whatever works. Any questions on the breakfast? And the beauty of these breakfasts is there's no bread. Now, if you can get a if you can get a really nice spelt sourdough bread, you might have toast with avocado and tomato. When I go away, that's what my husband has because he doesn't know how to cook. If you can have a hearty breakfast, and if you can feed your family a hearty breakfast, and they're going to be at school, or they're going to be in the office, or they're going to be at work all day, you can often get away with just giving them a fairly light lunch, and then have the main meal as soon as they get home. So we'll look at some lunches. Now what I have for lunch, it's probably similar to what we had today. I always have veggies, I always have some sort of protein, and I always have a big salad. But what do you do when, when you're going to work or school? You know, a very easy lunch is rice wraps. Are you familiar with rice wraps? You get rice paper, you dry the rice paper, you just dip it in water, and the sky's the limit what you put in there. You can put marinated tofu in, you can put avocado, heaps of veggies. And you can make them the night before. And that's a gluten-free option if you're wanting to get away from bread. So you can have rice wraps. And you can also do some salads very easy. And with the salad, you can have something like hummus. Or you can have marinated tofu. So we're looking now at your proteins. You can include some nuts and seeds. Or you might be able to take a thermos of soup or take some soup and heat it up and the soup can be veggie and legume. Friend, she always had the main meal ready when the kids got home from school. And she, she'd just give them a hearty breakfast, and at lunch she'd just give them an orange. They don't eat much at school anyway, do they? And they're hungry when they get home. So dinner depends on you, depends on what you do, depends on when you get home, depends on whether you're able to have a decent lunch. But a great light dinner is soup. Sky's the limit. Pumpkin soup, minestrone soup, whatever works. If you're hungry, have three bowls of soup. <laughs> or you can have a salad. That's a nice light. Or you can have fruit. 
But for people who are wanting to conquer cancer, conquer diabetes, conquer weight loss, they're better to go the more savoury. Or some people will just have a smoothie. As long as most of your food is eaten at breakfast and lunch, then you don't need much at night, if anything. Some people will have a vegetable juice at night. That can work. I met a man in America, he told me that he grew up on a farm there were five boys in the home. And the mother and the father were very strict. Breakfast like a king, lunch like a queen, tea like a pauper. Now these strong young boys, they were, at, they were outside on the farm building fences, driving tractors, and they were hungry at night. So you know what they did? Jumped in the car and went to town and ate junk. So what that mother would have been better to do would be provide something like this. Because growing boys, they often need a little bit at night. But if they have a hearty lunch, they might not. So that's what you play with. You play with the evening. But it is true, when you lie down to sleep with a full stomach, that can interfere with proper sleep. When you lay down to sleep at night, your stomach needs to sleep too. And if it's full of food, it's not going to sleep well. And that can be a contributing factor to insomnia. Can you mix vegetables and fruit? I don't advocate mixing vegetables and fruit because they can cause a bit of a war in the stomach. So we usually serve fruit at one meal and vegetable at another. But did you know that cactus, a cactus fruit, which is pineapple, that can go with either. But when you juice, there's no digestion. So you can put apple and carrot together in a juice. So it doesn't really cause a problem. Uh, yes? Is it true that one should not eat fruits after dinner? It depends what the meal is. But if you have a vegetable meal, you're best not eating fruit after that. And a lot of people think fruit is a healthy dessert. <laughs> well, it is healthier than Black Forest chocolate cake, and it is healthier than ice cream and chocolate flavouring. That is true. But um, that's why if you want something sweet, a slice of pineapple is nice after a, a vegetable meal. Also, banana is considered a herb. So banana is another fruit that, that could go after a veggie meal. Are there any questions? Yeah. Berries do contain bromide. Bromide is, is used in the spray. So if you're using berries for your smoothie, make sure they're organic. I don't know. 
Uh, it depends what they what they do to their berries. Yeah. If you look at blueberries on the vine, they have that. And it's not spray, it's just a natural lightness on the blueberry. It's like a, looks like they've got white on them. Have you ever seen blueberries? Pick blueberries off the vine, organic, they're there, that's what it's there. A vegetable wash to get the spray off. The spray's all through the fruits and vegetables. So it's right through. <laughs> Barbara, sorry, just a clarification. You say that vegetable and fruit should not go together. Yeah. I'm looking at the dinner that comes with a salad. What it is is or. 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 <laughs> oh. Now, we're not talking about the meals we're having here. These people that are providing the meals, they're doing the best they can. But they don't realise. They probably think that it's really good because they're not serving junk. And it's not the odd day you do it or the odd day you don't. It's what you do every day that matters. That's, that's what makes the difference. I think we're providing, we're providing the option there for them to have either fruit or vegetables. It's up to you. That is true. You've got the option there. You can have the fruit or the vegetable. <laughs> They require different digestive enzymes to break them down. It's because fruit is high in fibre, high in sugars, low in minerals. But your vegetable are high in fibre, high in minerals, but they're low in sugars. So they're, they're made up of in different ways. Now, people with cast iron stomachs seem to be able to handle it all. As I said, it's... it's, uh, it's it's better to have fruit after a meal than to have ice cream, but it's actually better not to have it. What happens uh, for people who uh, have death out have, have uh, fruits and vegetables in the meal, and then uh, what would happen to them? I mean, for example, a lot of people are... Okay, what would happen if someone had fruit and vegetables at a meal? Ask them. No, no, sorry, sorry. Because... Would there be any side effects? Because a lot of people would do you, do you know, as I said, some people can't handle it, some people can't handle it at all. You, you're the doctor there. But if someone's got a cast iron stomach and they just throw everything in, the day will come when they won't have a cast iron stomach. So well, you're, you're best to, to, to do what works best. Yeah. I mean, uh, what are the side effects from your... Diarrhea. 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 Do you know, how long's a piece of string? You know, it can... You know, some people will experience bloating, but if they don't mix the two, they don't experience bloating, and the next person won't. So it's so that's what you're the doctor there. You keep adjusting. If it works, do it. If it doesn't work, don't do it. Well, I think it's just about tea time. So I'll say I'll say a final prayer and we'll have a break. Father, thank you so much for your goodness, your mercy, your foods, your
your human body that you've given us as a trust. May we be relentless, Father, in pursuing the proper ways to get better health is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And remember, Kale has a lot of iodine for the sluey. And if you don't let life get into your feet, your feet are going to start to deteriorate. So when I get out of bed in the morning, I'll never put my feet on the floor and I'll get cold. I have slippers there. <laughs> so the came compress can once again bring blood, thus feeling, back into those areas. The last one we're going to look at is castor oil. I never suggest castor oil be taken by mouth. It can be quite irritating to the gastrointestinal tract, but it can be used topically. And castor oil penetrates deeper than any other oil. And wherever, wherever castor oil penetrates, it can break up lumps, bumps, adhesions, Castor oil can break up a bone spur. I met a girl last week. She said, I used it on my bone spur and it's gone. If the bone spur's been there three years, it might take three months. If the bone spur's been there three months, it might take three weeks. If the bone spur's been there three weeks, it might only take three days. And this is how you make the compress. I'm going to look, I'm going to show you sideways. So here is... A sheet of plastic and now we're going to do several layers maybe even three or four layers it might be a cotton cloth or it might be some toweling cloth so you've got a nice thick wad there the thicker the compress the more castor oil it can take and then the more castor oil can go into you and then you put the castor oil on top and this is about how much oil you'll put on. And then you let it sit on the bench because it's going to take 20 minutes for that oil to soak through. Now, it looks like a big, thick compress, and I've only done it that way to give you an illustration of how many layers. But if that's the plastic, the compress usually is about that thick. But in that, you'll have many layers. So after about 10 minutes that castor oil has moved out about this far and it's moved down in here. And then you will apply that to the area. So where would you apply castor oil? Wherever there's a bone spur, wherever there's a tumour. I met a lady that told me she was diagnosed with breast cancer 20 years ago. She was in the hospital. She didn't like what they were offering and a delivery boy come in and she said, can I get a lift out with you? She got out of the hospital. She stayed at a little beach house that a friend owned. And she said she heard about castor oil compresses. And she said, I just wore it 24-7, morning and night. And she got a cotton bra that was not too tight and it held it in place. She said, I walked along the beach every day. In fact, when she told me her story, she was doing those eight laws of health. She said, I also every day ask God to tell me if there was any resentment in my heart, anyone I had to forgive. She said, that was 20 years ago. She said, I, I haven't got breast cancer. 
Now, she didn't know very much, but she just did what she knew. But the castor oil penetrates deep. I had a lady doctor ring me. She said, Barbara, I've just found out I've got breast cancer. I've got a... Um, I'm going to do it in your, your American measurements. She had a half-inch size lump in her breast. She said, what shall I do? I said, apply castor oil compresses and go on the Anna's Wild Yam Cream to balance the hormones. She booked in for our retreat two months later. She said to me, I did that for a month and then I went and had the lump cut out. And when they cut it out, the surgeon said, it's a real puzzle to me. Your lump was half an inch, but when we cut it out, it was only a quarter of an inch. So in one month, that castor oil had broken it down by half. She was telling the story at the retreat. And the other guest said, well, why did you have it cut out? She said, well, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know until it was cut out that it was actually reducing it. And we've seen many people conquer their breast cancer by applying the castor oil and balancing the hormones and also changing the lifestyle and implementing the eight laws of health. So anything from a tumour to a cyst to any hard lump anywhere in your body, try the castor oil. You've got nothing to lose. Consistency is the key. Now, with the castor oil compress, that can be reused again and again and again because this is just a vehicle holding the oil so it can go into you. You might find after a couple of days it's getting a little bit dry and then you might put another maybe teaspoon of castor oil on. You'll get to know uh, how much it needs. So the castor oil is another very powerful treatment working with the body. Remember, in case of sickness, the cause should be ascertained, wrong habits corrected, unhealthful conditions changed. Then nature is to be assisted in her efforts to expel impurities and re-establish right conditions back in the system. So I trust you've been encouraged by these simple natural treatments. And I'd like to say goodbye I must go because I have a very early morning flight and so I've got a car out the front which I will be in in the next five minutes <laughs> and I'm going to hand over it to my, my friend Rhonda and she will close with prayer and I just want to thank you for being a fantastic, attentive, attentive audience. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. That was Barbara O'Neill. There's more of her on YouTube. Oh, wasn't she? We thank you so much for coming to Sandpoint, Barbara, and we hope to see you again. Will you bow your heads with me for prayer? Heavenly Father, we praise you for this day, for the beauties that we experienced, for the rest and the peace and the healing from you. We thank you for Sabbath. But we thank you this week for Barbara and all the amazing things we've learned about our body, which only makes us want to love and praise you more. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for these simple remedies that we've learned about tonight. We pray now that you will give us willing hearts to make that U-turn in our life 
to start implementing these things, to change the way we do things so we don't sin against you and harm who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us, for being so patient with us as we learn. Go with us now as we put these things to practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, thank you for listening. It's Barbara O'Neill on Insomnia. Sleep wasn't a problem before electric lights came along. <laughs> People went to bed when the sun went down. And if they did anything, you couldn't do much under candlelight, is that right? But insomnia is a huge problem today. And there are a few reasons. So we'll put our resident why here. Why? Why are people having trouble with sleep? Well, Proverbs uh, 14, verse 6 says, Knowledge is easy to him that understands. So what my aim is, is to give you an understanding of sleep. I want to show you what happens when you sleep. And when you understand what happens when you sleep, you begin to... You begin to have a knowledge on the important times to sleep and why. There's a little tiny gland in the base of the brain and it's called the pineal gland. And the pineal gland is about the size of a, maybe a, a, la, a macadamia nut. And it's right in the base of your brain. And the pineal gland releases four hormones every night, but only in certain hours. In the uh, winter time, it's between nine and two. And I think your summertime ends end of October, is that right? We call it daylight saving. So in Australia, I think daylight saving's just about begun. And that when daylight saving, so at the moment you're still on summertime, yeah? So at the moment, it's between 10 p.m. and 3 a.m. Why only those times? It has much to do with the moons and the tides. Um, light and dark signals are fed through the optic nerve to a control centre in the brain where your body clock is located. And your body clock communicates with the pineal gland. And these are the hormones that are released. One is melatonin. A lot of people have heard of melatonin. Some people that don't sleep very well take melatonin. Well, we naturally release melatonin in that time, and it's called the fix and rejuvenate nighttime hormone. So it is this hormone that probably is mostly responsible for the fix and rejuvenation that's happening in our brain and our body while we sleep. Another hormone is serotonin. That's the mood hormone. So if you want to feel good, go to bed early. What are the kids like if they have a late night? Not, not very happy. <laughs> either, either of the adults. Another hormone that's released in these hours from the pineal gland 
is arginine vasotocin. Those kids are having a ball out there somewhere, yeah? Arginine vasotocin is our natural painkiller. Did you know you have a natural painkiller? When you go to bed in these hours, your natural painkiller is released. But your natural painkiller, when it's used, it leaves a waste. And if that waste hasn't been released, then the next night, arginine vasotocin won't be released. So how do we get rid of the how do we get rid of the waste from using our arginine vasotocin? That's exercise. When you exercise in the day, as you perspire, you are letting go of the waste. And that's why exercise is so important to be able to increase your ability to sleep. Ecclesiastes says the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. In other words, when you physically move through the day, you get physical exhaustion at night and you can sleep better. So arginine vasotocin is your natural painkiller. And arginine vasotocin puts you into a deep sleep. So the earlier you go to bed, the more likely you are to fall into a deep sleep. The other hormone that's released is epithalamin. An epithalamin is a hormone that increases learning capacity. God designed our brain to be learning new things right up until the day we die. Many people's brains deteriorate because they stop learning new things. We should ever learn new things. I love the story of the 90-year-old man who learned to play the piano and the 92-year-old man that graduated from law school. After hearing the lecture on renewing the mind, a 75-year-old man came up to me and he said, I recently put away my most difficult violin pieces. He said, I'm going home to get them out again. <laughs> so apithalamin increases learning capacity. So to be able to understand and retain the new things that you're learning, we need to go to bed early. You ask any teacher, they can tell the children that had a late night because they just don't get it. <laughs> they don't retain. Epithalamin increases learning capacity and epithalamin slows down ageing. Everyone over the age of 25 likes that one. So these are the hormones that are released in these hours every night. But more comes into the equation. And I was reading a book called Why We Sleep by Dr. Matthew Walker. And there's some fascinating research that he quotes in there. And it, this research was first started probably in about the 1950s. And they were doing research on rats. Because, do you know, they research on rats a lot because their digestive tract and many things are very similar to humans and they live two years. So they can see what would happen to a human in say 80 years, what happened to a rat in, in two years. And they found that there were periods of the night where the, where the eyes, the eyelids are closed, but the eyes are active and moving, and then there are periods of the, of the night where the eyes were still. So they put electrodes on the brain and on the eyes, and what they found is when, when the 
eyes were active, the brain was active. But when the eyes were still, the brain was a little bit more still. Some of the researchers, even their two-year-old children, they had all wired up while they sleep. And, you know, they had lots of volunteers come in. Sometimes they did it on themselves. And they found that across board, the same thing was happening. So what they did was they called the uh, eye moving fast, rapid eye movement time, and the eyes moving slowly, non-rapid eye movement time. So let me show you what happens in those times. So in non-rapid eye movement time, they found that in the brain there's a courier service happening. Now all through the day, everything that happens to us is stored in our hippocampus back here. It's called the short-term storage unit. While we sleep, there's a courier service that takes all of those memories from the day up to the cortex up the top. So that's a courier service happening in non-rapid eye movement time. The other thing that's happening in non-rapid eye movement time is the cleaning system. We just mentioned that, the glymphatic system. So cleanings happen. What they found is that the brain cells seem to shrink up a bit, allowing more fluid between them, and so this cleaning system is happening. So what's cleaned up? Uh, waste from neuronal activity, uh, waste from the combustion of glucose and oxygen in the energy cycles in the cell, but also negative emotions, which we just discussed. And that happens after we make the decision to forgive. So when we forgive, that seems to trigger this glymphatic system to start cleaning up the waste. So these are the two things that happen in non-rapid eye movement time. In rapid eye movement time, this is where dreaming happens. No wonder the eyes are moving fast. The dreaming. Also in rapid eye movement time is a filing system. Now what Dr. Matthew Walker was amazed at in the research that he was doing, and he's an atheist, and this is what he said. He said, it's almost as if Sleep has an intelligence. This is an admission from an atheist. And if I was there talking to him, I'd say, of course, mate, <laughs> it has an intelligence. It was designed by God. These incredible things were designed by God to happen at that time in the night. So what's happening with the filing system? Remember, the courier has brought all the day's memories up to the cortex and what appears to happen is the dreaming that happens, sorry, just knock that, the dreaming that happens, have you noticed things from long ago, things you're thinking about through the day, all sorts of things come up. And it appears that that happens so that the brain knows how to file. He says, the filing is done in order. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> so negative things that happen, there's a negative section. Wonderful things that happened, that, that goes into the wonderful section. And that caused Dr. Matthew Walker to say it's as if sleep has an intelligence. And of course it does, the intelligence is God. So filing happens in rapid eye movement time. This is where our inventions happen. 
my father was an inventor and my brother is an inventor. So I grew up with Dad and Dave, who were, who were both inventors. In fact, every machine that came to our house, Dad and Dave pulled the whole thing apart and pulled it all back together. So I grew up with inventors. But I think it's something we all have in us, and you could almost say it's also creativity, isn't it? Something else happens in rapid eye movement time, and that is a consolidation of the things that you learnt through the day. You could say a consolidation or a confirmation of the things you learnt through the day. Dr Matthew Walker found that these happened in 90 minute intervals. So let's have a look at that. So let's do my favourite, 9 to 5. So the first 90 minutes is 9pm to 10.30. So from 9pm to 10.30, non-rapid eye movement takes up 80%. And rapid eye movement takes up 20%. So it's in the first part of the night that most of the cleaning happens. So now we've got 10.30 to 12. Midnight. So at midnight, 10.30 to midnight, we've got 60% rapid eye movement time and 40% rapid eye movement time. So from 12 to 1.30, it's about 50-50. So 50 rapid eye movement and 50 non-rapid eye movement. But as the night goes on, we have a change. So from 1.30 to 3, to 3 a.m., we've got 40% non-rapid eye movement and 60% rapid eye movement. So from 3 to 5, the last two hours, we've got 20% non-rapid eye movement time and 80% Rapid eye movement time. So this is what's happening in the night. Have you found that if you wake at 3 or 4 and then doze back to sleep, when you wake up again, you remember all your dreams? <laughs> that often happens to me because most of your dreaming is happening in the second part of the night. And the cleaning system, most of that's happening in the earlier part of the night. So what happens if someone goes to bed at midnight? Someone goes to bed at midnight, not only have they cut down by almost half their melatonin, serotonin, agonine, vasotocin and epithalamin, but they've also lost some of their cleaning. And what can also happen is they can wake up in the morning and they've still got memory from the day before in their short-term memory unit because there wasn't enough time to get it into the rapid eye movement time. Dr. Matthew Walker and his associates, they, they did a lot of research with this and they got 20 students and 20 students all learned the same things and 10 of the students had 6 hours sleep a night and 10 of the students had 8 hours sleep a night and they found after 3 months the ones on 8 hours sleep a night retained almost double 
what the six hours sleep a night. You see, they lost some of that consolidation, that confirmation of the things that they'd learnt through the day. Now, Dr Matthew Walker, he was a, he's a professor, and he was asked to write study tips for the university. And so the study tips that he gave for the university are very interesting. Number one, he said, sleep with your windows open. Here's the pure air. In fact, these are all the things we just listed. He said, have some sunshine every day. And I discovered that sunshine was the key to recovering from jet lag. When I go out in the sun, when I get into, a, say, America, I find going back to Australia is not as bad because I think I'm going with the revolution of the earth. But coming from America, sorry, coming from Australia to America, whew, that's not easy. But I discovered that if I sat in the sun and I put my head up to the sun with my eyes closed and let the sun's rays go through my eyelids, and then I put my head down after about 30 seconds and open my eyes and just sit outside, then I sleep the next day. <coughs> Do you remember one of the first things I said was light and dark signals are fed through the optic nerve to a control centre in the brain where your body clock is located. And the body clock communicates with the pineal gland. So sunshine in the day helps us to sleep better at night because it resets that body clock. It's called your circadian rhythm. You've heard of the circadian rhythm? It is reset by sun's rays going through the eyes. Now, I never suggest we look at the sun. Our eyes will tell us not to do that. You could look at it today, though, couldn't you? <laughs> it was a funny, hazy ball behind, behind the clouds. But those sun's rays help to reset the circadian rhythm. Dr. Neil Nedley, he found that, oh, he, up to 80% of his depressed people, their circadian rhythm was out. He also found that a lot of his depressed people were going to bed very late. And they were watching movies or playing games or on computer till late. So a couple of things were happening there. Number one... They were missing out on the, on the rest and rejuvenation that God planned us to get every night. But they were missing out on the early morning sun. He says that first hour of light in the day, it resets your circadian rhythm. So sunshine's important. Now remember Dr. Matthew Walker, he's writing this article for better study habits, temperance. He was very strong on the dangers of caffeine and refined sugar and how many students are sipping coffee late at night till midnight trying to get their study in. But what Matthew Walker found, they don't retain, they retain almost half as much as the people that stop the stimulants and go to bed early. That's a big difference, huge difference. So your stimulants... Put a big no there, no stimulants. And of course, four, this is eight hours sleep a night. Eight hours, not negotiable. 
When I turned 50, I found that I started to have about six hours sleep a night and I felt good. I used to tell people, since I turned 50, I, I don't need as much sleep. Once I read this book, well, I very quickly have trained myself back into eight hours. <laughs> because that's the danger of the six hour. You feel okay. But it's a great deception. Because all of these things aren't happening. What Dr. Matthew Walker showed is that people with Alzheimer's, little amyloid plaques, in every case of, of um, Alzheimer's, they found little, little amyloid plaques, which are like little calcified deposits building up in the prefrontal cortex. Now, when someone's got Alzheimer's, how's their reason, intellect and judgment? It's, it's not there, is it? It's not there. What Matthew Walker found, that when you sleep these hours, your cleaning system prevents the build-up of the amyloid plaques. And the people that have boasted of five hours sleep a night, let's have a look at how their, their latter years are. And remember, God never meant anyone to get Alzheimer's. He meant our mind to be brighter and smarter with age. So eight hours is not negotiable. So the next one is exercise. If you want to sleep good at night, get physically active in the day. If you can't run, try the exercise bike, <laughs> try the rebounder, try swimming, but some sort of physical exercise. Remember Ecclesiastes, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet because that man is physically exhausted from his physical exercise. And so many people today are at the computer. They're not doing physical work, they're doing brain work. Yes, the brain does need a rest when it's been working hard, but it needs that physical. Many guests that have been to our program, they buy the little rebound, you know, the little mini trampolines in their office. And everyone in the office does one minute every hour. One minute every hour. Now, you could even do it if you had 60 people in the office, couldn't you? 60 minutes in an hour. Six, proper diet. Now, what we're going to talk about here is timing. Dr. Matthew Walker, he showed that eating a huge evening meal interfered with sleep. When we sleep at night, our stomach wants to sleep. But when we eat a huge evening meal, then by the time we go to bed, it's usually still all in there and your body has to keep working. It's got to keep working, otherwise that will, in that warm environment, it will start to rot, it will start to go bad. So eating breakfast like a king, lunch like a queen, and tea or supper like a pauper. Now, if you've got young men who are working physically hard all day, their evening meal might be a bowl of thick soup or it might be a, a smoothie. But for people that aren't working really physically hard and especially people trying to lose a bit of weight, they're better to go maybe just a, uh, a herb tea or maybe just a, um, a light soup. You will sleep better if your stomach is allowed to sleep too. And number seven, hydration. We lose water every night. 
I don't know if you've ever slept on a mattress on the floor and when you wake up in the morning and you lift the mattress, you notice it's all damp because we lose moisture every night. The most dehydrated time of the whole day is when we wake up in the morning. I say to my grandchildren when they stay, have you watered your garden yet? It's their garden down there. Sometimes they come out and say, Grandma, we've watered our garden. I say, great, it's ready for breakfast. It's ready for breakfast. I try always have water next to my bed. If I wake in the night, I have a few sips. You just have it always with you. When you are well hydrated, you will sleep better. Now, I drink most of my water in the earlier part of the day. Some people can drink 16 ounces of water before they go to bed and sleep for eight hours. I can't. <laughs> if I eat that much water, I have to get up a couple of times. I learned a few years ago not to have watermelon for tea too. It was such a beautiful watermelon. I had several slices. I think I got up six times then. <laughs> and yet some people don't. You've got to get knowing what you can do. So I try and have probably only about two glasses of water in the afternoon before I go to bed and then I can usually sleep the whole night. Something that keeps most people awake. Most people that can't sleep worry. Have you heard of the chat room? My brain tends to go into the chat room if I wake in the night. <sighs> Now, what am I going to do about this? Now, I'll do, 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 and I'll solve this. I'm a problem solver. I'm always trying to solve. Do, 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 do. And if you stay in the chat room, you'll never go to sleep. So how do you get out of the chat room? <laughs> well, there's lots of things you can do to get out of the chat room. You can um, hum, hum hymns, uh, songs. You can, uh, what I do is I recite Bible verses. I've memorised some whole chapters, so I've memorised chapter 1, James chapter 1, and it's about 27 verses there. I don't have a great memory. This took me about six months to do that one. But I've done it, and it's really in cement now, so I can easily relate it. So I start going through that. And do you know that I get to the third verse and my brain tries to jump into the chat room and pull it back, pull it back, pull it back. There's your prefrontal cortex. Pull it back. And I get to the sixth verses, trying to jump into the chat room again, and I pull it back. <laughs> I pull it back. I see the prefrontal cortex like the reins. Well, pull that horse back, pull it back. Pull those emotions, thoughts and feelings back. And then in the morning when I wake up, I think, now what verse did I get to? I usually get to verse 13. <laughs> then I remember no more. Or you can start at 50 and count backwards. And if that's not long enough, you could start at 100 and count backwards. So it's just getting your mind out of the chat room. Because if you stay in that chat room, it's very hard to go back to sleep. So the eighth law is trusting God. Now I gave you a principle in the last, in the last presentation, Safeguarding Against Depression. It's called In Everything Give Thanks. And I read a book on the science of sleep by Adriana Huffington. I'm ever reading books on how I can know more about these eight laws. Because in the little book, Ministry of Healing, Ellen White says, these are the true remedies. And after helping people for over 40 years in these areas, I find it to be absolutely true.
They are the true Remy. So I'm always wanting to know why they are the true Remy. So I'm ever reading books to find out more and more. And Adriana Huffington says, if you can't sleep, you lie there and you think of all the things to be thankful for. And I was helping a man when I was in Bermuda who was having trouble with sleep. And I said to him, I want you to lie in bed and thank God. He said, what for? I said, thank him you're in a comfortable bed and you're not in a concentration camp. Thank God that you're not in a work camp in Siberia. Thank God that you're not outside in a ditch trying to sleep and it's raining. Thank God you've got a comfortable bed. Thank God you've got a beautiful wife. Thank God you've got great kids. One lady said, I can't think of anything to thank God for. And I said, well, I noticed you've got two legs that work. I noticed you've got two eyes that see. Go blindfold for a day. And just, you'll be very grateful for your eyes. <laughs> There's always something to be thankful for. Remember, happiness isn't dependent on things. Happiness is a choice. And that's why the Bible says, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. So when you can't sleep, say, Thank you, Father. Thank you that I can't sleep because now I can talk to you. There are two things that will stop sleep. Getting into the chat room. We all know the chat room. And also uh, looking at your phone. 80% of people in America sleep with their phone. The phone should not be in the bedroom. It should be out of the bedroom. Even if you're on call, put it in the hallway, you'll wake up. So it's not only the electromagnetic field that's affecting you, but there's a temptation, if you can't sleep, to look at your messages. Yeah? It's a temptation for me because Australia, uh, Australia's awake when I'm asleep. So in the middle of the night, Australia's awake. <laughs> but I will not. In the sunlight, there is blue light. And the blue light is absorbed through a little receptor site on our retina called melanopsin. And when blue light from the sunlight is absorbed through our eyes to our brain, it increases our ability to solve mathematical problems. It increases our, um, our ability to assess things, all because our eyes through the day have sunlight. And the blue light comes from the sunlight. The technology, the screens, whether they be iPad, whether they be computer, whether they be the phones, there is a blue light that comes out. Now, it's a different frequency to sunlight. But in the middle of the night, if you look at your phone, there's enough blue light going in there to say to your brain, daytime, wake up, because it's right here. Whereas when you watch a screen like a television, your brain already knows it's dark and you're watching. So it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm saying you can watch television till late at night. Ever tried to watch something exciting and then go to sleep? <laughs> there must be a time of winding down, winding down, especially that hour before you go to sleep. That's why a great thing to do if you can't sleep is just put a soft light on and read. Don't get an exciting book. Just Maybe the life habits of the Australian platypus or something. 
That can get you out of the chat room too, reading. So the two things that will stop sleep are the chat room, and often in the chat room, that's when you worry, yeah? That's when you get stressed about things. So get out of the chat room, and also don't, don't allow your eyes to look at the phone, because when, when they do, the message comes through to the brain, daytime wake up. So you can rewire your brain and you can get your brain back into the eight hours of sleep a night by adhering to those laws and getting out of the chat room. So when Dr. Matthew Walker wrote his article on good study habits, he didn't quite go into the detail in some of the areas I have, but he was basically saying, be well hydrated, have eight hours sleep, Guys, have have a have a nourishing food diet, fresh air, keep the window open, stop all the stimulants. So it was very similar to the laws. And he also advised that in the university they try and only have a exam say every two days, space them out again. Well, the university never asked him to write that article again. That's a pity, isn't it? Because he was being critical of this cramming, too many exams altogether. I don't really agree with the exam system of testing. When I did my nutrition course, it was all assignments, and I really like that type, because you study the, you study the paper that you're going to present, and you've got information here and information here, information there, then you bring it all together, and by the time you've actually submitted your assignment, you've, you've read the whole thing probably 50 times. And that repetition deepens the impression and repetition is the mother of retention. But the cramming in for an exam, it's not a really effective way, is it? So now you know why we need to sleep. Sleep's important. Sleep was given us from God to revive and restore the brain and the body while we sleep. Healing happens at twice the weight while we're sleeping, especially in those hours. Are there any questions before we close? Yes? Eat and then walk or walk before you eat in the morning? It's better to walk in the, in the morning, do your exercise before you eat, because a huge amount of energy goes to digestion. So if you do, I mean a gentle walk after, after you've eaten is fine, but if you're gonna do the high intensity interval training and running up and down hills, a huge amount of energy is gonna be pulled to your legs to get you up the hill, and the stomach's gonna protest because a huge amount of energy goes to digestion. Mm -hmm. And that's why, We've always been told, don't swim straight after a meal, you'll get a cramp, because the same thing, when you dive into water, a lot of blood is rushed to the skin because of hitting the cold water, and it's drawn away from the stomach. And so it is far better to do the intense physical exercise before you eat. And how long do you exercise? Uh, I'm going to define that tomorrow night when I look at heart health and diabetes. But I do 15 minutes because I do the high-intensity interval training, which are intervals of high-intensity, intervals of recovery, intervals of 
high intensity and recovering. And because you're doing it so intensely, you can do it all in 15 minutes. Isn't that good news? Yes. What about chocolate? There's not much chocolate. I mean, there's not much caffeine in one little square. But the problem is that um, cocoa is so bitter, it requires an enormous amount of sugar to go in there. And the majority of chocolates have uh, dairy in them, so it's really not a good food. But I do meet ladies that come to our retreat who eat a whole block. Well, there's a fair bit of caffeine in a whole block of chocolate. So the... Probably the highest uh, caffeine foods would be, or drinks would be your your uh, coffees, your uh, the V drinks, the Coca Colas, Red Bulls, things like that. Okay, and also um, about the phones. What about in airplane mode? It, it is true on airplane mode, you haven't got the frequencies going out, but it, it still should be away from the body because even on airplane mode, you you still have some coming out. Thanks. Is, is supplementation with um, uh, is melatonin beneficial or harmful? Is supplementation with melatonin beneficial or harmful? I don't advise supplementing with melatonin because... Um, it hasn't been used long enough to know the full effects, but if someone is really struggling with sleep and the melatonin is helping them, I don't tell them to stop. I say, well, it is helping you, so that is good, but what you could do is you could try a few other things and alternate it so the body doesn't get so dependent on it. And when you keep putting something into the body that the body makes, the body can make less of it, which is what you don't want. So there is a, another herb that's a mild tranquilizer, a mild sedative, and it's valerian. And I have spoken to some people that have said that's been really good. For people that really struggle with sleep, something like valerian, melatonin, they can get the body back into the habit of sleeping. So what about the uh, theory that the hours before midnight are worth two? Yeah. Well, the hours before midnight are worth two after, and I think the pineal gland secretions show that. So if you have eight hours from 10, so from midnight till 8 a.m., you're missing out on half of your uh, pineal gland secretions, and you're also missing out on some of the cleaning in the courier system. So those hours before midnight are very important. It is true. So uh, herbal teas, as long as they're decaffeinated, are, are okay? Sure, sure, yeah. How about uh, a naturally decaffeinated coffee, not, not the chemical process? Uh, in his book, um, Caffeine Blues, the author shows that there can still be some dangers there. I guess you could have your...
decaffeinated coffee for a week and then stop it for a week and just see if there's any reaction. I have a family member with fibromyalgia and they sleep around the clock multiple, multiple, multiple hours. And I know it's because their body is just out of, out of whack, but how do you get something, someone like that into a normal sleep pattern? They're sleeping day and night off and on. Yeah, um, they can get into a normal sleeping pattern. See, when, when I come from Australia to America, the first day, by 10 in the morning, I'm just wanting to sleep. But I do not let myself. I jump up and I start to do a whole lot of things. And I speak to people who suffer from jet lag for weeks. Because as soon as they get tired in the day, they go to sleep. So it would be a similar thing with this. Is that there's a, a discipline needs to happen. Is don't let yourself sleep. If you're feeling tired, uh, have a shower, go for a walk, <laughs> dig a garden, do something, but don't let yourself sleep. So if, if that person wants to, they will be able to get back into a better routine. Two, two little questions. I thought I heard somebody else. If you're off on your sleep, the circadian is really off, do you recommend just cold turkey starting or cold veggie meat <laughs> um, starting the right pattern or is it an, better to do incremental well dose? some it depends on the person but for some people who go to bed at midnight um, the first week they'll go to bed at 11 and then the next white that next week they'll try 10 and then the next so it, you have to work with what what the person can do and is comfortable to do. And then the last question is, with, this is amazing, but then there's all this health, are these healthcare workers that people go to for care and they've been, they've got the night shift, so they're not yeah. very, their brain isn't very well, awake to help those people that come for help. That, that is, that is true that, um, and Dr. Matthew Walker shows that there are more accidents from sleep deprivation than alcohol and that's not lessening the accidents that happen because of alcohol but he shows that when someone's drunk there's a bit of a reaction but when someone falls asleep at the wheel there's no reaction wow. and he cites that to show that you know th this is a huge problem people falling asleep because they're not getting enough sleep right i was mentioned well i was um I meant to say the healthcare workers that are in hospitals or such. That's right. And um, someone has to do night duty. <laughs> so I say to people that do night duties, do as little as possible. And um, definitely when, you, when your days are off, you know, go into the early nights. And what some people find is that when they get home from night duty, they won't have anything to eat. They'll go straight to bed and they'll sleep four hours. And then they might wake up at 10 or 11 and then they'll uh, exercise, have a hearty meal and they'll stay awake till, um, 
maybe later in the afternoon, maybe till five o'clock, and then they'll have another, depending on when they start, a lot of night duties as nurses will start at 11. That's when I used to start. And then they'll have another four hours then. So a lot of them find those two bits of four hours where they're getting a little bit of the morning and a little bit of the night. And exercising in the day can help them get, it, get through those periods of night duty. Yeah, I was wondering, uh, is there any correlation with insomnia and like blue light or smart TVs or um, like a smart meter? Ah, uh, yes. The electromagnetic field coming from the smart meter certainly has an effect. Again, call the silent killer, so it's hard, it's hard to put the finger on it, but... I have read of reports where it ha people's sleep has been interfered with once the smart meters put on their phone. That is true. Well, that must be all. I think everyone's dying to get to bed, eh? Thank you. Barbara, that was well put. and I, I've learned a lot tonight and so grateful for her ministry. Well, we, we do need to get going, get to bed on time and, and implement some of these, um, the principles that we are learning. So let me ask you to stand and we're going to have a word of prayer before we are dismissed. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the opportunity to, to learn. You have gifted uh, Barbara O'Neill with experience and knowledge and the ability to share in a way that is understandable, in a way that, that truly can motivate us to implement these wonderful principles into our lives. And so grant us not only... Uh, to, to retain this information and learn and understand. But, Lord, give us the, the, the courage, the tenacity to implement this program into our lives so that we can honor you by the way we live and, and, and the way our bodies function. Tonight, Lord, we ask for your blessing as we head home and, and, and as we sleep tonight and, and uh, tomorrow work, and then the opportunity to once again return to the next presentation. So bless us and keep us. Make your face to shine upon us and grant us your peace in Jesus' name. Amen.